Let's read God's word together. Beginning in verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, he, meaning Jesus, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything in that she had, all that she had to live on. This morning we'll be looking at this passage, and as I mentioned earlier, we'll be looking at the greedy scribes, a poor widow, and the lesson that we can learn about heavenly accounting. Anybody know the name of Louis Pasteur? Sound familiar to anyone? Well, Louis Pasteur was a French chemist. And he began experimenting with bacteria in the 1960s. And at that time, people didn't know what actually caused disease. In some ways, it was a mystery. They knew that we did get sick. Sometimes we were, became sick enough to die. And there was a lot of theories, right? When, when you uh, encounter different cultures, it's very interesting how the, the, the home remedies that we have that have come up through different cultures of how to cure different things. Some wise, some probably a little uninformed. But in Louis Pasteur's day, he discovered that disease actually comes from small microorganisms that we can't actually even see with the human eye. And you can imagine that when you can't see something with the human eye, how difficult it was to convince everybody else of the truth of his theory. Well, Louis Pasteur was able to eventually prove his research And people began to realize that it was bacteria that was killing people. And he also figured out the process that we might know and have heard of, pasteurization, which is using heat to be able to disinfect or to kill those bacteria which would cause harm. After... Louis Pasteur has been able to, in a sense, challenge the beliefs of his day, they began to change their practices. People began to wash hands. People began to actually use the process of pasteurization. And it's something that we still use today. If you've had milk, uh, if you've had yogurt, oftentimes it's put through the process of pasteurization. 
So why are we talking about Louis Pasteur? The reason is, is that Louis's research, it changed how the world thinks about disease. More importantly, it changed how we prevent disease. It led to actually acting differently. Just as a little seed in your mind, when was the last time you actually changed your mind about anything that you believed? Something that you really held dear. Can you actually think about the last time something that you strongly held on to and believed that you changed your mind about? I'm not talking what you decided for dinner. I thought I was going to have chicken, we ended up with steak. I mean something significant. Something that you, you battled against believing. Something that you just were convinced, I don't believe this, I think it's wrong. And then through a series of events, whether in your own life or playing out in history, you recognized the belief I had before no longer is valid. I recognize it, I believe it, I need to change how I'm thinking or acting. This morning we come across two really interesting stories. And by the way, we are still on the same day in Jesus' last week of his life. He's still in the temple area preaching. This is Wednesday in Jesus' last week of his life, his earthly life before he is crucified and dies for sins. But Jesus was taking some time in the temple to be teaching and instructing the people. The reason we looked at Louis Pasteur this morning is that Jesus is going to actually push back against two widely accepted beliefs in the culture that day. The first thing he's going to push back against is that the scribes are a model that we should follow. This would have been, uh, in a sense, sacrilege for a rabbi to challenge how the scribes lived and said, they are a terrible example for you to follow. The second thing that Jesus is going to do is challenge the way we think about giving. And so this morning, as we begin to explore, our simple outline today is to beware. The story of the scribes, there's a warning. It's an example of the greedy scribes in their lives, and it's a lifestyle we are to avoid. That's going to be verses 38 to 40. The second aspect, the second story, is to be aware, to make note of, to mark well. Be aware of the example of the poor widow, of a life-changing truth. It's going to be a principle that Jesus wants you to adopt. And you should know very clearly that the both of Jesus' stories, just like Louis Pasteur had to push against the way that people accepted how disease was spread, or how we even contracted disease, Jesus is going to push back against the narrative of what, what a real relationship with God looks like, a relationship with God as opposed to religion. And Jesus is going to push back against how much did this widow actually give? Because in human wisdom, the person who gave the most is the person who loved God the most. And Jesus is going to say, there's a different math. There's a different math that you're going to have to learn if you're going to follow me. So when you walk away this morning, here's the answer 
or the question you should be able to answer. I'm not going to tell you now. You've got to follow through the rest of the sermon. But you should be able to answer, what does giving looks like that honors God? What does giving look like that honors God? So let's begin. Let's look at beware. Beware of the example of the greedy scribes. I'll read verses 38 to 40 again, just to put that in your mind, set it in your mind. It says, and in his teaching, Jesus said, beware of the scribes who walk, or who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. So how did Jesus challenge the accepted view? The accepted view at this time was what the scribes looked like, the kind of person who lived a life that honored God. That was the accepted view. The scribes, uh, if you have been joining us, we've been working through the book of Mark, I've explained several times who the scribes were. If you're just joining us, the, the scribes in, in, uh, were, were the professional Christians, in a sense. They were, they were those who were trained in the study of the, the laws of God, what, what we would today call kind of the Old Testament. They were, in a, uh, if we were to give an educational equivalent, a scribe was very similar to a lawyer. They, they studied the law, they interpreted the law, and then they, they wrote, uh, modern-day lawyers and judges, they, they take uh, laws, and then they write interpretations of those laws, and then they, they write uh, decisions or precedents that those laws have set down. This is what the scribes did. The scribes were, were studying God's laws, and then they were writing commentary for how we believe we keep God's laws. And then there, there were different schools. We've already talked about this as well. There was, uh, very much like today, there was more of a liberal school of interpretation. There was uh, one that was kind of in the middle, and there was a very conservative area of interpretation for the scribes. But the scribes were really well respected. The scribes, in the people's eyes, were those who kept the law best. And as a result, they were, they were given places of honor. They were respected in the culture. But Jesus is going to push back because he tells us, basically, beware of the scribes. It's hard to imagine the impact that that would have on those hearers. That instead of praising the scribes for how scrupulously they kept the laws, that Jesus says, beware of the scribes. So let's just talk about the things that Jesus mentioned. The long robes. What were the robes that this passage is talking about? The best of our understanding, this is talking about the long prayer shawl that uh, the scribes would wear in formal settings when they would be the ones leading prayer. And so the, the scribes very much, in a sense, had a, a, an outfit or a, a way that they dressed when they led worship. And the scribes, let me just tell you, there were prayer shawls, and then there were the scribes' prayer shawls, which went off, off, from their shoulders all the way to the ground. And it was, in a sense, uh, 
that's nice prayer shawl. It, it might, yeah, maybe, maybe your material goes to the midsection. I don't know. But there was nobody who matched the scribes' prayer shawls. And I don't think they let anybody else have prayer shawls like the scribes. And this passage seems to be saying that as in a desire to attract attention to themselves, these scribes began to wear their prayer shawls, not just in the, the public leading of worship, but they wore them wherever they went, out in the marketplace, in a sense to show off their, their religiousness, that to show off their mighty prayer shawl. By the way, these things are white. If you've ever lived in a culture where uh, we, you don't have easy access to washers and dryers, uh, I've lived in Africa, I've lived in Vietnam, I've lived in Pakistan. If you are wealthy, you wear white because it is the hardest thing to keep clean. If you're poor, you wear colors that are able to take in the dirt and you can't see it. So, if you're wealthy, white is your color. It shows, I have enough money, I have enough ability to either keep buying new things or to keep these laundered. But either one, it was not normal for the population. The greetings in the marketplace. It says the scribes loved being greeted. A scribe uh, during this time was, was supposed to be shown in honor and respect. There's the, been passed down to us that when a scribe would walk through the marketplace, those of, in a sense, who were wealthier than the scribes, which is most people, the scribes were not wealthy, but those who in a position, like merchants, would have to stand up and publicly greet and recognize the scribe walking by and to greet him in a, in a sign of respect. Greet him as rabbi. Greet him as father or greet him as master. And it says the scribes loved going in public, walking by others, and watching or, or, or in a sense, waiting for others to give them the proper greetings. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any, any uh, letters in front of my name. But I do know, I've occasionally come across somebody who has earned a doctorate, and if you don't call them doctor, they take exception. And I've, I've actually, it's not everyone, but I remember greeting somebody just by their name, and they corrected me, and they said, it's doctor. I thought, there is somebody who, the education is not enough, the knowledge is not enough. What was enough is that you recognize my authority, my degree, my education. And let me tell you, maybe if that's you, you might want to rethink that. Earn the degree and earn somebody's respect. And it's not by somebody calling you the good doctor. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about that. I'm just plain old Sam. No degrees uh, that, that need any kind of recognition. But the, this was something that was very characteristic of the scribes. Devouring widows' houses. What does this mean? Something you need to know about the scribes is the scribes did not earn a, 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 a specific income from what they did. So scribes were not the wealthiest, although they were much respected in culture. Uh, scribes were, were dependent to be paid for their services, and so they were dependent on patrons. Or uh, These days there's a, a whole platform called Patreon, which is what? is that you can become a patron of, of something you found on the internet or a product or a person who's producing material or videos that you enjoy. 
And so you can contribute to those videos if you like those. I actually, uh, there's a little workout video that I do, and they say, hey, go to our Patreon page, become a patron, or basically offer a gift. If it's been helpful for you, please feel free to share this with others, to click the like button, or to give a donation. So the scribes were dependent on people paying them for their services. And as with any time that we, we, we find with people who have power, but don't have resources, we, f- we see they often use their power and influence to accumulate resources. Widows were, uh, especially wealthy widows, were very particularly vulnerable. When we, we think about a, a widow, oftentimes um, a, 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 a wife may have been left a fortune. It could be by a merchant. It could be by a wealthy farmer. And so uh, these widows would have uh, significant resources. Not all, very few. But let's just say the scribes weren't interested in all widows. They probably weren't interested in poor widows, like the widow we're going to see. They were very much interested in wealthy widows. And what did they do? They basically used their position to bilk widows out of money. In fact, uh, so if, if you pay any attention to the internet or modern, uh, modern day scams, modern day scams particularly target the elderly who aren't so good with electronics, who, who believe what they might be told. And so there's a modern day scams of targeting the elderly, getting them to access bank accounts over the phone, and, and then telling them, hey, I made an accounting error, you need to wire this back, I'm going to lose my job. I won't go into the, you can click any video you want if you want to go down that trail, but what I will just tell you is the pattern hasn't changed. Just like in the past, right now we still take advantage of people who are vulnerable. And it seems very particularly that Jesus would know this characteristic so well that he would point it out and say, they devour widows' houses. They basically are trying to get after their resources so that these widows will be a patron or donate. The best seats in the synagogues and at the feasts. We don't have this practice today, but when you come in, I think everybody pretty much knows, I sit where I want to sit. I I sit where there's an empty seat. We don't necessarily have positions that are of more value than others. But as the Jews would gather in the synagogue, there were certainly places where average people sat and places where the wealthy or influential sat. Well, the scribes, they sat right up front. They sat on a bench that was directly in front of the ark. Uh, The ark was where the sacred scrolls were, were placed. And let me just tell you, it was in view of everybody. They sat facing the audience. And everybody could see who is the scribe, who is important, who is, uh, res- who is respected? And because of their position that was well-respected, they were often invited to feasts. They were often invited to parties. I don't know if uh, you've ever been to a party, but we oftentimes, uh, it's a really big thing if you can get somebody who is famous or influential to come to one of your parties. Not your birthday party. But it, when we are throwing parties, is this not true? Is this not our culture? Is that when we are th- throwing parties, is that we think the party is more meaningful when we are able to invite the A-listers to our party. The important people. Who are the A-listers in the religious context? The scribes. And so if you had some of these scribes at your party that you've asked, then it was a pretty big deal and the scribes loved it. Lastly, long prayers. We don't fully understand the context 
But here's what we know. The scribes had pretty good theology. They knew the Old Testament. They knew God's law better than anybody else. Who do you think had the most beautiful sounding prayers? The scribes. And when they prayed in public, not only did they just pray to the Lord, but it it very clearly shows that they prayed for a show. They prayed so that others would see how they prayed. They got great, uh, I would say, uh, they received great encouragement for their own soul when others heard them praying loudly and publicly with all of their advanced vocabulary about all of the things they knew about God. And so we say, here's the long prayers. I'll cut to the chase. I told you Jesus is pushing back. And man, does he push back. He says, the long robes, the greetings in the market, devouring widows' houses, the best seats in the synagogue, the long prayers, the accepted view was this is what religion, true religion, looked like. And Jesus says, that's only outward religion. It is not a real relationship with God. Jesus actually says, if you look down to the end of the verse, he says, they will receive condemnation. Condemnation. So, we're not to look to the scribes and imitate their faith. They are not modeling for us or for the Jews at that time what it looked like to follow God. They're leading them down a wrong path, a path that will be judged. Maybe the best way to say it is this. We can be committed to religion and very far from God at the same time. You can be committed to religion, the outward practice, the obedience and far from God at the same time. So the scribes are an example to avoid. Don't make relationship with God about religious performance. Don't make it about the outward. Don't make it about the show. Don't make it about yourself. True religion is always one that does not honor you. It seeks to honor God. Always. A short aside, but I would also say avoid churches, avoid leaders, avoid YouTube pastors who make religion a show about themselves. Look for true religion, authentic Christianity, and those who seek to honor God. Not self. Let's transition. Because if that was the model that Jesus is saying, avoid, avoid this type of Christianity... Avoid this type of religion. Jesus now moves, or Mark moves us to a story, a story about Jesus, the very same day, where he's pointing to this poor widow. Instead of the greedy scribes that we are to avoid, he points to a generous widow, a generous but poor widow. Let's look at verses 41 to 44. Let me read them again so that this is fresh in your mind. So it looks like, and just, just so you know, there's a clear difference. The, the teaching with the scribes was in public. Jesus is still teaching publicly. Uh, he is teaching not only with his disciples, but it, he's teaching broadly and opening to those who are in the temple. We have a change of scenery. It's the very next verse, but Jesus is no longer teaching publicly. It looks like he's sitting with his disciples, and his disciples are not immediately near. They're in the general vicinity. And they've moved to a different part of the temple. They are now at the part of the temple where they are overlooking the place where people would give their, um, 
their income or their tithes, their money to the Lord. And very specifically we see that this is going to be a private teaching lesson. The scribes was a public lesson. The teaching we're going to see here is private only for his disciples. Here's what we see. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. She's put everything in, all that she had to live on. I mentioned that the scene has changed. Maybe this never gets old. I don't know if you, when you go to airports or malls, uh, one of the things I do as soon as I have a chance to sit down is I sit down and I just watch people. Uh, when you, I, I'm not really interested in taking a look at my phone. I'm not really interested. Uh, when you're at an airport, people are fascinating to see what they're doing, to see what they're saying, to see how they're walking, to see how they're talking. I love looking at people. Don't worry. I'm not looking at you guys. Uh, it's, I'm talking with you guys. I'm not looking at you guys. And so Jesus sits down and he's watching. And it's really interesting because what most people watch, I, I don't think this Jesus was the only one. Can you imagine the interest factor of going to the temple and sitting down in an area where you can watch everybody giving? So they go to the treasury. And just to paint a picture, there's... The treasury is this large open court. In, in the front of the temple, there was an area. It was, it was the area where men and women could, uh, could mix. Uh, in this area was giving, and they had these massive, uh, I guess we would call them trumpets today. It was, it was uh, in, in the shape of what we call a shofar. They had 13. And there were these, these massive receptacles for you to give. And... You need to know that today, if, if, you, if you donate, whether it's to River Life anywhere, we could send money, we could send a wire. There's no noise, or there's no sound. There's no, there's no announcement that goes out to every other member of the church. I just gave. <laughs> and this is how much. There's no sound that comes across our phone, a larger sound for large gifts, or a really tiny sound for a small gift. But in Jesus' day, if you sat next to the temple and you watched people put in, you would have a really clear idea what people were giving. Because every coin or every piece of money they had was actually a coin. There was no, uh, we have bills these days, paper money. You can put a big wad of paper money in, nothing's going to make a noise. But in Jesus' day... Imagine the interest factor. If you sat around the temple, you could watch people coming up, and maybe they had like the big old bag. Uh, maybe they, they're, they're carrying it up. And you're like, oh, wait, watch this. Right? I'm about to dump this in. And you hear all the noise. And when you hear the noise, that person's pride, just like the scribes, is probably like, yes. Yeah, listen to that. The others are watching. They're probably thinking, what an amazing gift. And the thing that you're going to think about is, 
how much does that person love God? How happy is God with that amazing gift? Because Jesus does tell us. He says he's sitting, he's watching the treasury, and it says many rich people were placing really large sums. And just so you know, the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing in this passage that says it was wrong to give. There there was no other way to give. There was no silent way to give. There was only one way to give. You went to the temple, there was these massive receptacles, and you put in your funds. And it just so happened that maybe if you had a lot of funds to put in, yours made a pretty loud noise. And I don't think anyone, maybe like Jesus is sitting there, think looking for the poor people. The poor people aren't the attraction at the treasury. It's the rich. It's seeing what they're giving. But what should shock us about this passage is that, you know who Jesus is watching? He notices this poor widow. I don't know where his disciples are, but he actually calls them to him. Maybe Jesus sees her walking up there. But Jesus calls his disciples and says, guys, come gather around. I want to talk to you about giving. And I want to teach you a principle. A principle that it, that it should change the way we think about how we give to God. To give you an idea of, and we'll get here, uh, um, do you have the pictures? There we go. I did some research because... The scriptures clearly tell us the exact amount. Jesus tells us the exact amount that this woman gave. It says she gave two leptas. So I was trying to think, what does that actually equal in modern day language? And I'm going to tell you, I worked it out. So we're going to to arrive at an exact amount this morning just to give you a modern day equivalent. So this little bronze lepta or leptin down here, it was one sixty-fourth of this denarius. This coin on the very right-hand side, your left, this denarius is equal to one day's wages. So in those times, a denarius was one day's wage. The lady, the poor widow, she put in two of these little bronze coins And go to the next slide, because it will kind of just give you an idea. This is what she would have had in her hand, literally. These are her two coins. Those are real leptin. You you know exactly now what this lady may have felt like watching those who are rich, watching those who give much. This is what she would have walked with her hand to drop in to the receptacle to give back to God. I wasn't there. I think I know human nature enough to know that those who are giving large amounts probably approach their gift with their head held high and and a a joy in their heart. And once again, the Bible says nothing about the fact that those who were rich and who were giving much were wrong. But I do know, have you ever been uh, embarrassed to give a gift that you had? I have. I'll, uh, um, I'll pause 
come back to later. I'll tell you about one of the worst gifts I ever had to give, most embarrassing times in my life, uh, which I'll never, ever forget. But this is what the woman walked and put in. I did do the math. Here's my math on this. That if a denarius was one day's wages, and the leptin was one sixty-fourth, that's one over sixty-four, a day's wage, I thought, what's the average gross salary in Germany? Average gross salary for Germany is apparently 49,260 euro. So then I thought, well, what does that equal a month? Well, that's 4,105 euro per month. Then I thought, but I need to know how much you make a day. So I realized that, well, 30 days is actually not the real number. 21 working days in a month. That comes to 195 working days in a year. 164th of a denarius would come out to 3 euro and 5 cents. 3 euro, 5 cents was what this woman had in her hand to offer. And what's amazing is that Jesus thinks this offering is worth a lesson to his disciples. So much so that he stops what they're doing and he says, Come, I want to share with you something important. Like I said, this wasn't to the public. And I want to point you to the fact, let's go back to the scripture, is that Jesus uses a truly statement here. When Jesus uses this this pattern of introducing a truly statement, a truly statement, maybe the best way to explain this, because Jesus uses them throughout his teaching uh, ministry, but he doesn't doesn't use a truly statement to introduce every truth. Think of truly statements as the core curriculum, the essential foundations of what Jesus wants you to know. What does it look like to know and follow God? The truly statements are these statements which push back against what we would normally believe. Go back to Louis Pasteur, right? The things that we believe because of our culture. But Jesus is saying, but if you're going to follow me, you need to know. Truly, truly know this. You need to think of your giving differently than our culture. Because our culture and the culture of Jesus' day would have said, those who gave the most also honored God the most. We would also say maybe those who gave the most will receive the most heavenly rewards. Our minds would think. That's human logic. You give the most, you get the most honor back from God. God will bless you in a way for giving more than giving so little. And Jesus is going to say, truly I say to you, so Jesus is introducing a principle, a core curriculum for what it means to follow him, something that is going, when he tells you, it needs to replace how you normally think. So now you know, when you're hearing this, how you normally think about giving needs to be exchanged for how Jesus is going to talk about giving. This is core curriculum for following Jesus. Everybody need understand here, is that sinking in? Just like we had Louis Pasteur pushed back against the, the accepted beliefs of his day, Jesus is pushing back against two accepted beliefs in his day. The scribes are not the model for what it looks like to follow God. And looking at how much we give is not the way we measure how God is honored by our giving. 
So Jesus says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing. All right. So when he says this, this should kind of break your mind because now we're not using math. Jesus says those two little coins in value are worth more than, he doesn't say than the rich man or the rich woman who went before her. He says than all of the other offerings put in the offering box that day. That math is not the math that you learn in school. Because in math, we use real numbers. And I'm not saying this to be funny, but what we should see is that God isn't using numbers to judge the value of your gift. There's a different kind of math. It's what I call a heavenly accounting. There's a different kind of accounting that is taking place in God's eyes. And that means you need to have a different kind of accounting when you're thinking about giving back to God. It has to replace It's no longer, we're not just talking about numbers on a sheet of paper. The balance sheet of heaven looks different than your bank balance. One just tells you, here's the amount. But God's doing some other type of math. This is what Jesus is telling. That's the the best way for me to explain this. God is trying, uh, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, God does math differently. That's the best way I can explain it. And here is how God does math differently. God's math is, God is honored by the sacrifice, not the sum. God is honored by the sacrifice, not the sum. There's your answer to the the question. I told you, you will go away today being able to answer one really important question. What does giving look like that honors God? Here's Jesus' answer. God is honored by the sacrifice, not the sum. So God measures your means for giving, not just the amount you give. And this puts everyone, rich and poor, on equal ground. Because if it was only based upon our resources, the rich could always outgive the poor. And that means that basically, well, the rich will have great wealth in heaven, the rich will have great blessing in heaven, and the rich will have great blessing now. Why? Because they can outgive anyone. And Jesus levels the playing field. He says, it's not about what you own. That everybody's equal. It's measured on equal sacrifice. Maybe just to give you an illustration here. If you're a parent, then maybe you have reached, uh, I, I haven't done it with our children yet, but I remember very specifically the day where my dad gave me money to go buy Christmas presents for he and my mom. Anybody else have that happen where your parents gave you money to buy them presents? When a parent gives his child money to buy them a present, it's not because the parent needs it. We don't give to God because God needs it. We, we, we can't increase God's wealth. The, the scriptures tell us God owns everything. And if we're looking at that parent relationship with the child, this is the way it is with us and God. Everything we have, God has given to us. So when I was a child, I didn't pay for my rent. I didn't pay for my clothes. I got Christmas presents. Then I also got money to go buy my my parents' Christmas presents. And the reason that happens is because my parents were teaching me, helping me learn, what does it look like to give generously? 
That's a lesson that you need to begin to learn. And to teach me that lesson, they gave me money, and they said, go buy a present so that you can learn the joy of what it looks like to give to us. We give to you at Christmas. I want you to have, now that you're older, you need to start understanding that part of what we do as Christmas is that you also give. Christmas isn't just about the big party where you get everything. Eventually, as you get older, you need to recognize is that life is not about all that I get, it's what I can give. Imagine in that situation, if my parents gave me the 25 euro, if on Christmas Day I was so excited and I came and I had my dad a 5 euro present. Thinking, I kept 20 for myself. How silly would that be that if my dad gave me 25 euros to spend to buy a present, that if in my foolish thinking I felt like the lesson isn't about generosity, the lesson is the fact that I can keep more for myself. Do you realize, one, I didn't learn the lesson, but two, that my heart still hadn't grown to the point where I understood that my dad owned it all. That... Everything I had, he gave me. And what I ate, he fed me. The house that I had, the bed that I slept in, the clothes, were stuff that my mom and dad had given. How silly of me when my dad gave me a chance to learn generosity if I went and kept 20 for myself and gave five-year-old gift back to my dad. One of the things that we have to ask ourselves are, is in this case, you know, that it's, it's a silly illustration, but I think you can recognize that I missed understanding the assignment. Folks, God has given you everything that you have. Are you understanding the assignment? What you have, God has given generously to you so that you might generously give to others and generously give back to Him. This is the principle that Jesus wants to teach his disciples. It is not the sum, it is the sacrifice. And the more you mature in your faith, the more that Jesus is inviting you to have the joy of giving up things so that you might experience the joy of generously living for God and for others. By the way, I'm not in any way saying, this is a zero sum, right? So in this illustration, the the widow gave all she had. I'm not trying to teach you a zero-sum budget where if you don't have zero, basically I paid my rent, my car, my ki- fed my kids, and now I'm giving everything. I'm not trying to legalistically give you a number, a percentage, or uh, to say this is what it looks like. But what I can say is this. Let's just move to two practical applications as we close. Two applications for giving back to God. The first is This should be an encouragement to give back to God out of what He has given to you, no matter the amount. That three euro and five cents, that three euro and five cents, at the end of the month or at the end of the year, if if that you're if you're with that poor widow and that three euro and five cents represents what you can give. Give that gladly and trust that God sees not just the amount, but He sees the faith behind it. Who recognizes that He gave me everything, I'm glad to give back to Him joyfully. Once again, I'm not telling you an amount. I'm not telling you a percentage. All I'm telling you is, there's a principle here that God looks at not just the amount, but He looks at the faith 
of the giver. And the heart of the giver. So this should be an encouragement. Pursue a pattern of giving back to God in faith, trusting in His provision. Give what you can, as often as you can, out of a heart of gratitude and faith. Give what you can, whenever you can, out of a heart of gratitude and faith. God is greatly honored by your three euro and five cents. Greatly honored. Here's my challenge just to close. What is one specific way that you might choose? And I'm talking to members here. If you're a guest, I'm not after your funds. If you're a guest here uh, and, and you belong to another church or if you're just visiting, I'm not talking to you about your giving. I'm talking to our members together. The challenge would be, what is one specific way you might choose, choose to limit your spending so that you might joyfully give God more? Once again, I'm not giving you a percentage. I'm not giving you an amount. I'm just saying, if this principle is true, what does it look like for you to take one step towards giving like that? What is one specific way you could limit your spending so you might give joyfully back or joyfully give more back to God? I want to give you just a minute to think about that. I'm not expecting you to all of a sudden run to the donation box in the back. In fact, stay away from it today. We don't need any scribes. But I would say, when you have a chance, give joyfully. Think about that. This is between you and God. Think about applying this teaching. How do you adopt a lifestyle? How do you look at your budget? How do you live in a way that will allow you to pursue giving more in more sacrificial ways? I don't know how else we could apply this passage than to invite you to believe it and apply it what Jesus has taught. Allow the silence. Some of you might think awkward for another 30 seconds or so just to give you time to think. And just in closing, for those of you, I've been uh, told many weeks in a row by our welcome team and by others, I always forget to announce that we do have a way to give back. For those of you who have seen, we have uh, a way to give online. We have a way that you can give uh, in our offering box back there. I'm not telling you, uh, those who are our guests, those who are our members, there's two ways to give. The reason why I mentioned the box in the back, there's a little donation box, is this. If you want to give your three euro and five cents and you want to gladly give to God and you have cash and you're not set up to give online, feel free to use our little donation box there. That's a way that you can gladly give. That's a way that you can give back to God each week. Uh, I've been told uh, more than a number of times, Sam, not everybody can use the online giving. If you want to give that way, Sure. If you want to give through the offering box, sure. By the way, if you're visiting, we've been around here for about two and a half years. I don't preach on tithing. This is not what I do. I'm preaching the text because it's in the text. I preach God's word so that you might know truth and that you might respond. 
this is not a, a, uh, a soapbox that we stand up on and talk about tithing. But today, by God's grace, let's preach His truth and let's all respond and apply this to our lives. Let's pray. God, you are good and you do good. Your word is true. Today, Jesus challenged us to think about what is a model of living a life that honors you. He tells us to stay away from outward obedience only that comes from a heart that seeks to honor ourselves and not you. Jesus also challenged us to look at this poor widow who gave generously, who gave sacrificially as a model of understanding the heavenly accounting that takes place in the heart of God. It is the sacrifice and not the sum. God, I pray that you would show each of us how to respond. We're not trying to prescribe amounts. We're not trying to force people into giving. We're simply saying, if Jesus teaches us this principle, what does it look like to build our lives on this truth? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.